Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere. I've never been the type to make amends. If shit was at a we like to, we like to, we like to. Yeah. If shit was at an eight, we like to make it ten. One to set the scene, I'm going up all the way. I don't like to talk when there's nothing else left to say. Drizzy by the drop, the game is in disarray. I tell you, hear me out, but we both know end of the day. Your sister is pressing play, your trainer is pressing play. Your wifey, your wifey, your wifey, your wifey. I gotta breathe real deep when I catch an attitude. I got a whole other level that I can tap into. Max said they only bless when they attach to you. The only dead beats is whatever beats I've been rapping to. And the product is still the best though. It's only good in my city because I said so. Just It's the Life of a Philly Fan podcast. I'm Aiden Powers. I'm here with Vince Sion. We have a huge show today. Arguably, probably not even arguably, the biggest show that we've ever had. We, of course, are going to put in our two cents about the Eagles' current debacle going on. I think it's fair that everyone in the city gets the chance to put their two cents in. And then, of course, most anticipated Sixers season in how long is about to start. And we have a special treat for our Sixers season preview. Vince here got a chance to talk to Charles Barkley. He met him through school. There was an event there. He said, hey, I got a few things going on. I've got my own podcast. How do you feel about the Sixers this year? And they got into discussing that. So he was able to throw a few Sixers questions at him. So we'll talk Sixers with Charles Barkley. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty surreal talking to, you know, Charles. He came in. He, uh, sat down had dinner with us and then it was a little it was a private little thing for a handful of kids and then he talked to the whole uh not the whole school but like i don't know maybe like 900 people it was pretty cool and then but you kind of that's what you i'll tell you what if you take one lesson from college it's all about who you know and you weaseled your way in there and were able to (laughs) one-on-one little discussion a little few questions thrown his way and here we are yeah here we are i sat down with uh Sir Charles. Sir Charles, NBA legend, TNT legend. The round mound of rebound. (laughs) The round mound of rebounds. You know what's crazy? Before we get into our show, just funny about Charles Barkley. He's one of the all-time steals leaders in, um, in Sixers history. He's top five steals. You would never think that, but he is. Just looking at him on TV now. Back in his day, he was a defensive juggernaut. Hey, he just lost 40 (laughs) pounds. Show some respect. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. So here's the game plan tonight. We're going to start Eagles. I think even when you have a Hall of Famer on the show, the way Sunday night went, I still think we start there. We'll talk to Charles Barkley, and then we'll get into a little season preview for the Sixers. So Vince, like I said, let's put our two cents in. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what, as a Colts fan, that it must have been tough to watch as an Eagles fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big joke, Jacoby Brissett guy. <laughs> yeah, huge Jacoby oh, Brissett. Man. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I love rooting for a coach that won the Super Bowl in 2017. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> I see where you're going with this. It was all Frank Reich, huh? Yeah, 100%. He was the mastermind Reich. behind it all? He had to have been. That's the only, that's the only like... There's no way the Colts should be as good as they are, you know? 
Very fair. Well, I mean, they're a talented team and they've developed well. Something that it would be nice if, if a team around here could do that. Yeah, but be, yeah, you're right. They have a great GM, great coach, and great bones. You know, must be nice. Yeah, must be nice. Funny how things turn in the blink of an eye. How things have changed from just uh, just August, honestly, with those two teams. But yeah, that theory's been gaining steam. Uh, it's so funny that you say that because I think uh, that used to be like a conspiracy theory, and now it's just an accepted theory among this fan base. Yeah, I, I I've been saying it. it's all Mike Rowe. This is Mike Rowe's fault. I saw like 20 minutes after the game, someone said fire Mike Rowe and hire Jay Gruden immediately, and that's what we've come to. I yeah, we've come to that, and it wouldn't even be the craziest thing to have happen. I mean, would it hurt to have a shakeup? No, because you know what, we just keep it. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But I'll give the Eagles credit. They did change things up, and it still went horribly. I thought I couldn't even be mad because I thought it was so funny. They took the ball first to avoid a slow start and somehow started even slower. That wasn't even making me angry because I thought it was so hilarious. Yeah, it, I, I've always hated that move. Like, I remember back, like, in my baseball days when you would do the coin flip and, like, when you're in a tournament, you would get to have to decide home or away. And I would hate when my coach would decide away. He'd be like, let's go out there. Let's get a hot start. I'd be like, you know we're not going to do that. If you're in – if a classic desperation move is getting the ball first to, to get a hot start. If you're good, you just start hot. That's what it is. And that's the thing with our team. We're too inconsistent. We're not good right now. I still think we can turn things around, but it's not, oh, defer or take the ball, and it's not going to stop the slow starts. What stops slow starts is having players who are good and don't make mental mistakes every other series. Yeah, what stops slow starts is having fast starts. <laughs> Perfect analysis. That is why you come to our podcast, the Life of a Philly Fan Podcast, for the X's and O's of the game. You cannot win. What's that quote that uh, the Trent Dilfer had? You cannot win. You cannot lose and still win. That's it's, where we're at. It's tough. You cannot to start slow and be hot. It's it's tough to watch a team go out there and just look like they don't know how to play the sport. And I don't get it. I do not get the the lack of preparation, it seems like. They seem ill-prepared every week. They've now gone down um, by double digits in five of seven games this year. Uh, they've allowed scoring drives. I believe it's five, on the first drive on five of seven games as well this year. I just don't get it. It's just one of those things where, like I said, a coin flip is not going to decide if that happens or not. It's about talent and focus and execution during the week. Uh, there's a lot of bushes in front of Nova care complex i wish they could take them down so we could see if this team actually practices because i'm convinced that they just stand around out there they're just out there chilling they're not practicing yeah i saw there was a tiktok of the chicago bears um doing an egg toss today is that what the eagles do every day and they just show up on sundays no because then they know how to catch seems like what no because then they know how to catch yeah, honestly, <laughs> maybe they'd have better hand-eye coordination, but it's just oh, the mental mistakes. I can't get over it. So basically, not to harp on the slow starts too much, but I did think it was funny. So you go fumble, you give up another opening drive touchdown. Miles Sanders, another stupid mistake, but hey, he did back up Saquon Barkley, so give him 16 passes. <laughs> um, 
So he, he returns the kickoff out to the 12. Good for him. He also had a false start in the game. First time I've ever seen a running back get a false start. But once again, he did back up Saquon Barkley at one point in his life when he was 19 years old. So please give him every chance possible. People but forget it's just, he did back up Saquon Barkley. He, yes. And if you didn't hear the first three times, he did back up Saquon Barkley. So yes, Miles Sanders, keep continuing to give him the ball every scenario that you can. <laughs> That's my least favorite broadcast point. Like... I've taken classes now where, like, I've been taught how to put together, like, notes for a broadcast, and I know they're just being lazy because that's all they talk about. Yes. Yeah. It's the classic, oh, did you know that Fran Dunphy has been to every Big Five school except for LaSalle or, like, one of those? Or did, if he wants to St. Joe's. Blah, blah, also played basketball. Like, yep. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> Did you know that Chris Hogan also played lacrosse at Penn State? It's just one of those. And this this kid is living off of, of being Saquon's backup. And I'm not getting into the into the Miles Sanders um, synopsis, but it's really just the perfect example of inconsistency. Where yes, he has great uh, he's had some great receptions. He's been one of our leading receivers, which is crazy. But he is a great example. Everyone else can criticize Nelson Aguilar, well deserved for all of his mental mistakes and everything going on with him. But it is a it is a collection of guys where every week you're looking at this team and you're saying, why are they so inconsistent? And then you look deeper into it and you see all these guys consistently making mental mistakes every other series, and they start to add up. You get a fault. You're driving the ball. You get a false start on your running back. Now you're in first and 15. All right, it's third and three. If he hits the hole the right way, that drive continues. The Cowboys don't get the ball back. When you're in the moment, you're not thinking about that kind of stuff. You're thinking, ah, well, we have to punt. When you take a step back, you realize that these things are starting to add up. And I'm, I'm calling him out and I'm singling him out, but you can do this for a bunch of different guys on that team right now. Yeah, it's not even one person. It's like a collection of people. Yeah. I don't even want to say collection. It's just kind of like everybody. Yeah, you can you could do it by by position group, not even by by a single player in the position. You could do it by position group. We could do a, a whole podcast on just the secondary struggles, and we kind of have in the past. And you know what? They weren't even the ones who struggled the most on Sunday. It's ridiculous, but you keep seeing mistakes. Like it's just crazy to me that position group player, whatever you want to say, they're making the same mistakes. Or they're just constantly making mistakes, even if they're not the same. And you know what? It all leads back to micro. Yes. Even if it's a defense, even if it's special teams, micro is somehow involved. Actually, you know what? Hear me out. Because his his dad, Al Gro, is one of Belichick's guys. So, oh, my God. Was Belichick playing the long game? Isn't it a coincidence from a dynasty? that the year after we beat them in the Super Bowl, one of his guy's sons comes into like a position of power, and now this team suddenly can't win. Wait, wait, wait. I'll take this one step further. How about the only reason that this guy has come into power with the Eagles is because Belichick's guy backed out of the job with the Colts, and our offensive coordinator went there, leading to Mike Groh coming into power. It all makes sense now. It's wow. all Pepe Sylvia. We, who's Pepe Sylvia? Who is Pepe Sylvia? I think we have figured it out. I'm, I'm glad we came to this conclusion. We can all finally agree. It's no one's fault but Mike Groh. But Mike Gross, I'm glad that we put all the pieces together and Bill Belichick was just playing the long game on us the you entire know, and I time. I can respect that. That's fine. I can, yeah, honestly, I respect that. <laughs> 
But back to this team, and I was thinking about this today. Actually, I was thinking about it on Sunday, just the lack of life in this team. That's another issue that I've been seeing. The inconsistency is one thing, but I think it's leading to a lack of life and energy. And I watched a video of, of Jalen Ramsey basically just bumping and running with Julio Jones down the field and how nice that would have been if he would have been doing that with Amari Cooper on Sunday. And I what, think having this, a personality on the Eagles or having a personality and having uh, all three. So ha- playing defense, having talent and having personality in life that all of those would be great right now. I'll take anybody, anybody. I don't know if it's like the attitude comes with winning or if the team's just missing something. But that 2017 team was like full of attitude, personality, all that. And they, they clearly really haven't had it this year. And, and that's okay. Yeah, Maybe it's just. Either. Yeah, they, not, yeah, and it was kind of towards the end, and I'm not even going to get into, oh, it was because Foles played. No, it was not. It, but, you know, they really just, they're, they don't have a lot of boom in the offense. I think that leads to being lethargic. They just don't have skill players who wow you and produce electricity. They really don't have that guy in the locker room who, we talked about Jalen Ramsey, sometimes <laughs> it goes the wrong way, sometimes it's an issue, sometimes it can be a good thing. When he's talking, sometimes, you know, you're like, oh, man, I can't believe we're dealing with this. But sometimes you're like, all right, we need this type of attitude. We need someone who's going to get up and, and just punch the other team in the face. Metaphor, not physically. Not, you know what? Physically. I'm fine with or that. Or physically. Honestly, if we start a fight with the Bills, I'm okay. I was okay with Malcolm Jenkins and Dak Prescott getting a fight at that point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Malcolm Jenkins just, seems to be the only guy left on the team that, like, wants to play. I don't yeah. Know. He's the only, yeah, at least we have one consistency left. And like, and, and even he didn't play well, but I just feel like everyone played lethargic. Yeah. And here's, here's the thing. Here's what I think happened to this team. I think Jalen Ramsey was the worst thing that happened to this team. If you've ever played Call of Duty, I disagree. the Eagles— I think it would have to be Mike Rowe, but continue. Okay. <laughs> yes. I think Jalen Ramsey is the worst thing that happened to this team. And I say that because if you've ever played Call of Duty, you know you have the second chance perk where if you go down, you're kind of just crawling around waiting for someone to revive you. You can't run, you can shoot, but you can just crawl around. And they were waiting for someone to come and revive them and give them life so they could get back up and run around the map. So Jalen Ramsey was supposed to be that guy who came and revived them, gave them life, and came and saved them. He never came. So we're just crawling around the map waiting to die. I... That's pretty spot on. I hate it, but it's spot on. <laughs> You're just like we're at the airport. You can't go we're, t- we're at terminal and we're crawling around and no one yeah. will revive us. We're in the middle of firing range, just waiting for someone to climb up in that tower and, and get up there and shoot us in the head and put us out of our misery. We can't go anywhere. We're just crawling around the map at this point with a pistol, not even a real firearm. All we have left That's is what- like the knife. Yeah, you, you can knife people, and you you have your round whatever rounds left you have of your pistol, and that's it. And you can't run; you can just crawl. That's what the Eagles have been doing this season. Yeah, I'll tell you what, my Colts though they've been uh, they got some life. They took down the Chiefs, and you know, <laughs> can't relate. <laughs> the, those Colts, Andrew Luck, who? Exactly, exactly. As soon as he retired, I knew that as a Colts fan, that the Colts would rally around. That my Colts would rally around Jacoby Brissett. And Frank of Reich. course, 
Of course. And hey, another team who took advantage of the running backs who were actually good in the 2017 draft. They have Marlon Mack. Uh, but congrats to Donald Pumphrey, who was uh, drafted in the seventh round of the XFL draft this week. Oh, yeah. Kudos to him, man. I forgot. Glad you found a home. Yeah. Uh, and to all the other running backs, which was every other single running back in that draft, congrats on being good in the NFL. <laughs> every single person except Donald Pumphrey. It's almost statistically, it was. It was harder to miss in that draft than it was to hit on a running back. You think about that? That never happens. They could have done no scouting, went to no senior days, didn't attend a single combine, and still fell ass backwards into a good running back. If they would have done nothing, no scouting, and they somehow ended up with Donnell Pumphrey. After going through through tape and, and combines and senior days, somehow they ended up with him. How is that possible? Statistically, they could have done nothing. They could have done nothing. They could have gone on vacation with Zeke to Mexico and still ended up with a good running back instead of Donnell Pumphrey. I have no idea. That is, of all the, the development issues that they've been having, that one blows my mind because they didn't have to do anything. Uh, I'm, at this point, I'm starting to believe that at the end of this season, Howie Roseman's going to take off his mask and it's just Matt Klintek. Oh, my God. I saw an analogy the other day on Twitter, and it was scary. It was like going through comparing players between the mm-hmm. Phillies and the and the uh, and the Eagles, and I just sat there and I wanted to cry. Yeah, because it was, it was exactly, so funny, yeah, it was but like, it was so accurate. It's exactly the same. Uh, Bryce and Carson were compared. That's the one that I remember. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, that's just stunningly so on par with what's going on. The only other it's one I so remember is Orlando Skandrick and Jay Bruce. Yes, yes, and um, and they did compare Howie to Klintak. Well, because how um, how much more accurate can it be? It, you know, if you go problems through, aren't, like, you don't fix them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And same problem that the that the Phillies had, the Eagles had. They gambled that they could develop their young pitchers. It failed. The Eagles gambled that they could develop young corners. It failed, and now it might cost you your entire season. That's where they're at. Which honestly, bench everybody at this point. Let's get a draft pick. Yeah. Sellers at the deadline? Yeah, I don't hate it. Whatever. <laughs> I don't even, like, but I don't want to do that. I, I'm still confident. I, I don't know what it is. I think that's the most frustrating thing ever about the Eagles and being a Philadelphia Eagles fan. After all this, we're going on 20 minutes of just bashing them when we have the entire Sixer segment to get to. And after all of that, I'm confident that they're going to beat Buffalo on Sunday. That is the epitome of being an Eagles fan. You're confident they're going to beat Buffalo? Yes. I'm not. This is the first time I haven't been confident going into a game in two years. Uh, maybe that's a good thing because we've been pretty mediocre for two years. That's true. I mean, there's been Hopefully games where I've been like, I don't luck. think we're going to win, but like I could see them winning. I can't even see them winning this game. I can definitely see it. I, they're back as a they, – they can't lose this. If you're, you're dead if you lose this game. Yeah. You, you can't be three and five. You, you just fall too far behind. Wild card's out of it. Um. Yeah, you can't lose this game, and I'm I'm just not completely sold on the Bills yet. So that's why I can see it. But if you think we have drama now, lose on Sunday, and we'll see about drama. Yeah, and I'll be watching you from Indianapolis and laughing. Yeah, let me know how Lucas Oil Stadium is this week. Who you got this week? Who do the Colts play? I have no idea. Oh my god! <laughs> I probably should have prepared a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Got to take as your a Colts col- notes. as a Colts fan. <laughs> Check out my One podcast, th- Life of an Indianapolis Fan, coming up. Oh, life of an Indy, Life of an Indy Fan. Uh, Denver. So yeah, that's a win. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, then they're talking about sellers at the deadline. Yeah, really? Uh, already got rid of Emmanuel Sanders. Um, speaking of wide receivers, you know what's hilarious? No. It's probably going to upset me, though. It will. Antonio Brown. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody wants this guy because of all the drama he brings. But here the Eagles are in just an enormous amount of drama. Anonymous sources in the locker room. Lane Johnson saying people aren't showing up to practice. Guys disputing that claim. People saying that Doug has lost the locker room. You got uh, reporters claims that they've bought the rings to be a part of the team. I mean, this is an absolute mess. You've got like Aguilar and Wentz seem to be throwing shade at each other in press conferences. This is as much drama as you can get. Like, people don't want him. The production's always there. People don't want him because of the drama he brings. Well, come on down, man. I dare you to start something worse than this. Somehow his drama would negate some of our drama, and there'd be less drama, I think. A negative he plus would, a negative is a positive. Yeah, it's just like throwing the Joker in the middle of Gotham. At least it would make things entertaining. Yeah, that's true. There's already plenty of villains in Gotham that Batman's fighting. Just throw the just throw the Joker in there so there's some entertainment value. You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, I'll sell my soul to the devil, Antonio Brown. All right. I think we should cut it there for, for the Eagles, going on 20 minutes of ranting about them. Yeah, I already got and, enough gray hair. I don't think I need any more. Yeah, so... How about that? Cut it there, and we split this into two parts. So we've got our positive part, the Sixers, and our not-so-positive part, the Eagles. So we'll get into the Eagles. We've got our interview with Charles Barkley. Vince got to sit down with him, got to sprinkle in a few Sixers questions about the upcoming year and things like that. And then on the other side, we will get into it ourselves. All right, yeah, I got. Uh, I was given five minutes of Charles Barkley. I took seven, so... You have to. Yeah. Uh, I was given, actually, uh, I was given the uh, the finger wag from Neil Hartman to wrap up the interview. Some uh, some Philly people may know who that is. But that's... Uh, you can't, you can't do that. You, you had to, you only get that opportunity once. Yeah, so. no, I was going to, yeah, no, I was definitely going <laughs> to... You got to go, go right through it. the, uh, right through the finger wag. You had yeah. to. And I'm glad you did because we've got that content. All right. Here is Charles Barkley. So let's start with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about this a little bit before, but uh, Joel lo- lost twenty pounds. Well, you know he had to get himself in better physical shape because uh, he's got tremendous talent. Uh, but when you're injury prone, uh, one you have to add one of the factors you have to ask yourself is: is you, are you in your best physical condition? And the Sixers are only going to go as far as Ben and Joel take them. You know, hopefully Ben worked on his jump shot this summer. Uh, but if those two guys play up to their potential, the six is going to be tough to beat. Uh, ben said something about how they're going to be a really like defensive-minded team. How they're going to be, it's going to be like yeah, that sounds great in theory, but you got to score. Yeah. Uh, you can't stop everybody in the NBA. The other team got good players too, great players too. So yeah, they they, they you hope they're good defensively, but they got to score. You can't just want to stop people. You have to score on the other end. And uh, Ben has to improve his jump shot. Uh, that's That was his goal for the summer. I hope he accomplished it. So someone just mentions Philly to you. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, it's a tough city. Uh, it's a tough city, man. You know, I've been here since 1984. And they demand a lot. Uh, I love it. Uh, 
uh, but they demand a lot. Philly is a tough city. Uh, you cannot take any shortcuts here. Uh, and if you don't take any shortcuts, they got number love for you. But it's a, it's a tough city. All right, so uh, you famously said you're not a role model. Mm -hmm. So why come and do an event like this where you're going to come and speak in front of so many students? Well, I do a lot of speaking. And then, you know, people ask me, I'm really proud of the role model commercial. You know, when I made the commercial, uh, it was obviously controversial, but I'd like to get a chance to explain what I meant. You know, speaking at a bunch of schools and different things, I was concerned that a lot of the young black kids thought they could only be successful through, successful through sports uh, and entertainment. I wanted them to know they could be doctors, lawyers, engineers, teachers, firemen, policemen, and things like that. So it's just a starting point uh, for a conversation piece. Uh, because I don't want these kids that, listen, everybody's not going to make it in a pro sport. But you can get your education, which is the most important thing. What's someone you wish, or something you wish that someone came to Auburn when you were 18, 19, and said to you at an event like this? Well, I wish that, uh, great question, I wish that we had been better equipped academically. Uh, because, yeah, I made it, but the other guys didn't. And that's the thing, uh, what I tell these young kids, everybody's not going to play pro sports. Even at Alabama in football, Auburn in football, Ohio State, uh, you know, less than 1% of these guys are going to go on to the next level. They, they, these other young kids got to get their education so they can dictate their future. Um, let's, let's call him your co-worker. He, uh, he just put out a diss track against uh, Damian Lillard. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, we're not going to talk about that, but uh, yeah, yeah. do you think that's like a, uh, do you think that kind of, like, it's a new kind of relationship between media and analysts and players, or do you think he just... No, I think that's just a lot of stupidity on social media. You know, these kids, I, I, I'm, I'm anti-social media. I do no social media, because uh, I don't want to talk to these fools, and I'm not going to go back and forth with somebody who's insulted me. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking that on our way over here, I saw that little 16-year-old kid down in uh, Tennessee who killed himself because he was getting bullied online. And I, I felt just sadness that some losers felt the need to make this kid feel so bad that he killed himself. And Shaq is a grown man, and Damon is a hell of a player. But I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm anti-silliness. When people are going back and forth on social media, I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. That's why I don't do any. But like I say, the point I want to make was, like I say, this 16-year-old kid in Tennessee uh, committed suicide this weekend because uh, a couple of people were bullying him because uh, he was gay. And I, I got nothing but love for my gay friends. I got, I mean, that's blessed them. And I, I just feel bad that this 16-year-old kid felt so bullet that he killed himself, and it really pisses me off. So I'm not going to call out specific NBA players. Do you think they should dial it back with how much they're on social media? I don't tell anybody what to do. Uh, uh, I don't. I mean, I just don't think that's the way to do Because you don't tell people they're right or wrong. You can just disagree with them. I, listen, I, I, I just personally don't use social media. Uh, I think you, you've seen a lot recently where it's come back to bite guys pretty good 
So I just think you have to be really careful because, you know, we all we all got feelings, we all got ego, we all got pride, and sometimes you're having a bad day. You had a bad game, you had too much to drink, and if somebody insults you, it doesn't matter what they say to you. You're the famous one. That's when I think you have to really, really be careful. You can say anything you want to to me, and it's not, uh, and nobody cares. But if I say something to you, and, and and I'm famous, it's gonna be everywhere. That's the negative aspect of this thing when you're in the limelight. It's, and I use this phrase all the time: it ain't right, it ain't wrong. That's just how it is. There's a double standard when you're in the limelight. You just have to deal with it and accept it. All right, so we're gonna have one last question. We're gonna wrap it up. Uh, so you're gonna be talking to a lot of kids tonight that want to be in sports media and just be around athletes. So specifically as as an athlete, what's something that you think people in the media need to know when communicating with athletes? Like what's something to avoid? Uh, that's a great question. Also, I think the main thing you have to realize, like uh, guys aren't trying to suck. You know, like, you know, sometimes you just don't play well and you already feel bad. It's, so I don't think you have to jump on the bandwagon. You can say a guy played bad. I mean, that goes with the territory. But so now the problem we got, you got all these idiots on talk shows all the time who have radio shows and they're trying to get clickbait. So they're calling guys' names and tell them how bad they suck and everything. You can tell a guy he played uh, bad without telling him he sucked. He should look for another job. He's awful and things like that. Uh, that's why I think in the media you have to be really careful. All right. That was our interview. Well, Vince's interview. I'm not going to take credit. With Charles Barkley. Um, perfect timing for it with the Sixers season upon us. Um, opening night Celtics. This is the most anticipated season that I can remember in my lifetime. So I'm glad that Vince got the chance to sit down with him. Some interesting questions, some interesting input. He, of course, was always going to come out on fire um, with the answers. So that was great. And then uh, you got us two schmucks get talking about the Sixers. So let's get into that. Yeah, and I, I liked how like Charles has like, publicly picked the Sixers to be his team that goes to the finals, but he didn't he wasn't like putting them up on a pedestal or anything. He was still like, they need to do this, this, and this. And if they can do all this, they'll win the championship. But the fact that and he had I, confidence in them to do it makes me makes me confident. And I agree with him on that front. It is it's good to have cautious optimism about this team, and rightfully so. You know, you look at the other teams. A lot of them have taken a step back. Kawhi has completely evened everything out. He can no longer hurt us until the NBA Finals. Um, so I, you know. It, it could be a two-team race between the Bucks and the Sixers, and if things fall our way, you, you make it to the NBA Finals. But I think the competitive balance of the league allows you to have optimism in this team based on health, if they're healthy. But there's some things that they need to, you need to see from them to get to that point. So that is completely fair from him. Yeah, it was it was uh, the day before he was going to go to a Sixers practice, so there was people at the dinner, and then I, I brought it up, too, in the interview, asking about Joel Embiid losing weight because that had come out, like, the day before. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'll see him tomorrow. I, we'll see if he lost. We'll see if he lost weight. Like, he didn't believe it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? What's TNT going to talk about if they can't trash Joel Embiid? That is very they, true. Uh, that was, like, their thing last year, and um, 
I didn't think that that was Joel Embiid's problem was the weight. I think there are other problems, and I'm going to get into it as to one of the pros, my biggest pro for the Sixers this year. But they that was kind of like their shtick. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, how um, some people who <laughs> trash Carson Wentz um, for anything that goes wrong with the Sixers, the the shtick for the uh, for the TNT crew was always bringing up Joel Embiid's weight, which I thought was a little odd. Low hanging fruit, you know. Yeah, exactly. But he does look to be in better shape. Um, all of the, I mean, it was a big off season for all of them, really. Um, Tobias Harris getting the new contract. He is becoming a leader of this team as, as Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick have moved on. Ben Simmons, hey. The, th- the jump shooting thing, the three-point thing is going to be a storyline all year round. And then Joel Embiid getting into better shape uh, so you can rely on him a little bit more. Um, kind of collapsed towards the end physically um, and health-wise, I guess, with the sickness too. And just having more dependability on those guys. They have to take a step forward. This is really the first year where they are the veterans of the team. I guess we can call them veterans at this point, even though they're still pretty young. That, yeah, that's great. They're like Ben Simmons is like my age and Joel Embiid's still a man baby. So it's crazy to say that they're like the vets. They are. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, here's it. People aren't going to like this, this take or this comparison, but it, it kind of Al Horford coming in kind of reminds me of Jason Witten coming back to the Cowboys. Like he's there because he still has a little bit left in the tank and he can provide some production for you, but he's no longer the leader of the team. There's other guys who need to step up. So Dak and Zeke are really becoming the leaders now. And on defense, you see it with Leighton Vander Esch, uh, Jalen Smith, guys like that who have stepped up and become the leaders. Um, same thing with the Sixers, Ben, Tobias, Joel, they need to be the leaders, the captains, the vocal points in the locker room. Al Horford is there. Yes, he's a proven veteran. He's been a leader in the past, but he's really there because he still has a lot to provide, not because he needs to be the leader. It's all on these guys now. Yeah, I'm going to bring up Charles Barkley again, but he uh, he said how <laughs> Moses Malone is the reason that he got in shape and became a good player. I feel like Al Horford's going to be that to Joel. And I think that's really why they brought him in. They brought him in for two reasons. Actually, you can go three if you want to. Um, So I'll get into my my main one for the Sixers is depth. Mm -hmm. He provides a little bit of depth, and I'll extend on that later because I really want to talk about that with the Sixers. So he is able to spell Embiid and give them a production – give them production in the front court. And then also you don't have to play Horford anymore. So that's also a huge thing. When you play the Celtics, Horford, who always seemed to stymie Embiid, no longer has to guard him. And then third, like you said, a leader. A guy who has been around, how old is he? 34, I believe. He'll be 37 or 38 at the end of this contract. I think so. He's I been found around his son's since... Twitter and he was old, so he's got to be pretty yeah, old. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. He could be playing with his son pretty soon, him and LeBron. Yeah. Um, he's a guy who, uh, a calming voice around Embiid. And I think these guys are all going to push each other. And you know what? The guy who's going to push them the most? Kawhi Leonard. Because those guys have not experienced heartbreak like they did in that game seven. And I'm very excited to see how they bounce back from that and how that's motivated them going forward. Yeah, like I've been saying forever, this team relies 100% on emotion to play. So an angry Ben Simmons, an angry Joel Embiid, that's going to be scary for other teams. Yeah, and it's, it's just exciting because, like I said, you've got the anger aspect. So they're playing angry. They've heard a lot of criticism about themselves um, over 
really over the entire careers if you think about it. And then the motivational aspect. So you can see the path to the NBA Finals is opening. Everything is balancing out in the NBA. It's the most balanced season we've had in God knows how long. Maybe since, I don't even know, because even the Lakers in the early 2000s, since the turn of the century, really, this is the most balanced out it's been. So you have that motivational aspect. And then just overall talent-wise, these guys are getting older, so they're developing their game in different aspects of it, and I'm really excited to see that part too. And uh, I'm just going to say it. I think this team goes as far as Matisse Thibel takes them. I am so excited, so excited. Oh, my God. That guy is the perfect. If you could build a guy in a 3-and-D laboratory, it would be my t Stiebel. I love him, and I never get picks right. Every year, I watch a bunch of YouTube highlights, and I'm like, I'm going to fall in love with this guy. And every year, I fall in love with some guy, and it's the wrong pick. This year, it was Matisse. I am so happy that for once in my life, I am the blind squirrel who found a nut when it comes to Matisse Stiebel. I'm so excited to watch that kid play. So excited for, for a lot of the youth on the Josh Richardson, Matisse Dibel, the guys who are going to be dogs on defense. I mean, you've definitely seen this picture now, but the picture of Hanky staring at Markel and uh, Matisse is right next to him. <laughs> Matisse is in the background. Maybe we were, <laughs> we were wrong all along. He, he wasn't looking at Markel at all. No, He's no. It's like that picture. Con. It's that picture. I think uh, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are sitting in, the, in a row at a – uh, some award show, mm-hmm. and, but they're sitting with their significant others before they got married, and it's like, eh, you're closer than you think. You're closer than you think. That's how it was with, with Hanky and Matisse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but he's I'll, just... You know, like, in all seriousness, though, if he can be, like... If he can add serious depth to the bench, I think the team is a lot better, obviously better off, but I think it's a lot better off than people think they would be. I agree. I totally agree. I think he's the key on the bench. And you brought it up, and I've been teasing it, but I'll, I'll we'll get into it now. I think the depth of this team is the most important aspect of it, and it's the deepest we've seen in the Brown, Simmons, Embiid regime. The post-process area. It's the first time. The, uh, yeah, post-process area. The uh, trust the results version. <laughs> um, so this this is the mo- the deepest team that they've had, and it de- in all bunch of different positions especially in the front court. Mm-hmm. We talked about Embiid kind of collapsing physically down the stretch. He had the knee injury in the Nets series. He got sick against the Raptors. He never looked right in the playoffs. Well, you kind of saw that coming when they didn't have a legitimate backup center until February when they traded for Boban. And then even he got hurt and missed some time. So Embiid was really playing with, uh, with Mike Muscala as his backup for the most of the year. You were relying on him too heavily. You were giving him too many minutes. He was playing too many games. You could see it coming a mile away that he was going to break down. Fast forward to this year. This is just the front court alone. We won't even get into the wing play and all the play we have at point guard behind Ben Simmons. You have uh, Kyle O'Quinn, who I think is a very serviceable vet in the the front court, and we already talked about what Al Horford could offer. And then you can even go small, small ball and play with Tobias Harris at the four. Then all of a sudden you bump Horford to the five, and Bede can sit out, speed up and down that court. Oh, my God. Like There's so many different options. I am just in love with the roster from 1 through 10 or 11. We're deep down to the two-way players. Norvell Pell had that amazing game the other night. 
I know. And you know what? You need the you need that for 10 days at a time. Mm-hmm. There's going to be there's going to be some point where some guy's going to sprain his ankle and you're not going to have him for 2 weeks and it's going to throw off your rotation. And if you can have a guy, it's so funny that we're getting into the the G League two-way guys on the team. But if you could have a guy who could just spell you for a week when you get really into the dog days as you're approaching the All-Star break in January and February. That's amazing. It's amazing to have that type of depth, but I'm with you. I think he could provide some value if even for a few games. But there's just so many guys to be excited about on this team at so many different positions. It gives Brett Brown so many options, more than he's ever had in his entire career. Yeah, all we need is one, like the Norvell Pell game, the Shake Milton game, the, like, the Trey Burke game. The Trey Burke game. And like we're going to get one of each of them. And we talk about... Um, we talked about Matisse being like the three and D guy having some dogs on defense. It seems like there's already some roles that are being carved out for individual guys. Like you can see well, Mike Scott has the role as the enforcer. Obviously you have your stars in Simmons and Embiid. You've got your shooting with Tobias Harris, the veteran leader in, in Al Horford, who's going to rebound. He's going to clean also up. Also is it. shooting. Let's not forget it. that. Yes. He's been uh, especially against us. in the preseason. <laughs> yes. And he was always a, always against us when the Celtics played the the Sixers he was always like that Uh, it's just everyone seems to have a role starting to carve out for them and I can definitely see Trey Burke you always need a point guard off the bench and the the Chicago Bulls back when they had Derrick Rose they always had a backup point guard like CJ Watson or Nate Robinson who would spell them for three and a half minutes and they'd go off and get you six to eight points five to seven points six to eight points I feel like Trey Burke could come in and do that for this team and it's just one of the many things to be excited about I know it's small. We're talking about Norval Powell, Powell coming off from the G League. We're talking about guys like Trey Burke coming in and give you six to eight points. But these things start to add up when you have to play 82 games and you've had durability issues with some guys in the past. Yeah, and I think like I got to work a little bit with the Blue Coats last year, and they work really close with like the Sixers, like proximity wise and relationship wise. So I feel like they've been like. They're putting a lot of faith in Shake Milton. Like, I'm hearing that he's, like, their number, not their number two point guard, their number two, so I guess their number three point guard. So, like, I feel like they've been, like, they've been watching him, they've been grooming him, and the same thing with Pell, who's been, I feel like not a lot of people, he's been floating around since, like, 2013. So like yeah, yeah, he's not a rookie. Like he, he's I been know. around. You, he's just a rookie for us because we're like, hey, who's this? Who's this guy? Where did he come from? But yeah, it, it, they committed to Shake Milton this summer, and basically that that was the end of their cap space when they signed him. That was it. That that tightened the salary cap, and then they were pretty much done from there. And, and did you feel a little him. bit? Did, did that signing kind of feel like, not even like Shake Milton wise, but you were kind of like, okay, they know what they're doing this year, or they, they give it they did. give their last dollar to Shake Milton. You're like, okay, I got faith. It, it means that they had faith in them, but it means that they executed their plan. They filled out their roster top to bottom the way that they wanted it, and there were defined roles for each guy on this roster. You can see it before they've even stepped on the court for game one. Now they'll come out tomorrow and score 76 points and lose to the, lose to the Celtics by 12, but for now, it at least looks like they have some defined roles and that's really what you need in in the NBA, especially during a stretch of an 82-game season, and especially when you really don't want your star playing 82 games. He will never do it in his career. We'd be happy if he played 70. I'd be happy if he played 65. I'd love if he played 65 and we were still competitive. That's totally fine with me. You had to invest in a backup plan, and you did. You, you You brought Al Horford in, Kyle O'Quinn. 
two great options. Like I said, go small ball. You got a lot of different options here. I really love it. And like and I don't want to, I don't want to project this far ahead, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyway. But this feels like a year where they take a, where they take a center in the first round. Uh, that's I can't even get that far. I don't ahead. even know who it would be yet. Cause I, I'm <laughs> I don't not even, even know who would be in the draft. Yeah, but you are so far ahead. If there's good center, it feels like they need to take a center early. I don't know. <laughs> you need a legit I no, backup. I can't even. I can't even tell you. You usually just take best player available. Hey, here's the thing. We don't know who's going to be there at pick thirty this year. That's true. After we win the NBA finals, that's very true. So two more things on the Sixers to wrap up. Um, hilarious that we didn't even bring up Zaire Smith, who yeah, aside that, from yeah. Matisse Thybulle could be the the other guy. Matisse is, seems to be ahead of him, at least what it looked like in preseason, which is odd because Zaire is older. Um, but he's another guy who could take the next step forward this year, which would be huge. Um, so another guy with depth. Um, so the two big things to me that stick out as far as Philadelphia Sixers 2019-2020, we touched on one already, and that's depth. And it's ironic to me that in the league that is the most star-driven, it usually comes down to which team has the best depth. And that leads me to my next point. I am not a big believer in the Bucks. I think they are way too dependent on Giannis. I think if we get them in the Eastern Conference Finals, we allow Giannis to go off, and we could still beat them. Yeah, he's one of those guys. He's like Gronk, where you're like, you know he's going to get what he's going to get. You're going to like let the one guy eat, lock down the rest of the team. Exactly. Because one and guy can't beat you, unless it's Kawhi exactly. Leonard. But one guy unless can't. Unless it's Kawhi <laughs> Yeah, unless it's Kawhi, then he will definitely beat Kawhi's not a guy, uh, so doesn't, he's, he's the... <laughs> He's the exception that proves the rule. I don't know what that saying. Yes. I don't know what that saying means, but that's it. And yeah, and also just like Pascal Siakam becoming uh, like the next. Oh yeah, I, I don't know. I tweeted the other day again that the draft order from what was that 2016, 2017? What we took? Uh, yes, the infamous Furkan Korkmaz. Talk about roles. Oh, we took. He will we be, took Timmy. Uh, sit there and fucking clap. We took Timmy. Uh, Luau Cabro. So, yeah. Someone was taken next, and then Firkin, and then Siakam. And then Siakam. So we had God two chances to get Brian it right. Colangelo. <laughs> they didn't. God bless Brian Colangelo. What a moron. I love, what an absolute moron. I love tweeting that out like once or twice a year just for a good chuckle. Was that the same year as the Donnell Pumphrey thing? Yeah, you know, I think it was. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Well, I don't like that. What the hell was this city doing that year? We won a Super Bowl and we sacrificed and we got stuck with Furkan Korkmaz over Pascal Siakam. We got Dunno Pelmfrey over all of those talented running backs in that draft class. Uh, that I think is, it, that I think is it was the sacrifice. Nolan Patrick year, though. I don't care. <laughs> Who cares? I know you Honestly. didn't care. I just wanted to see oh. what you say. Who cares? I can name two flyers, and one of them's gritty. Who cares? <laughs> Let me know when they win something. I'll pay attention. Did you see they have they have the rage room now to get people to come out? Not If not to watch the game, to just break things? That'll be the only reason you get me to a game. <laughs> and it won't even be because of the flyers. If they play a Monday night game after the Eagles game, I might need to get in there. Yeah, I saw a lot of that floating around on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, any last thoughts on the Sixers? I'm so excited. Like I said, I, I I love this team one through twelve, one through fourteen. We even love some of the G League guys. I'm so set. 
I, I can't wait to see Joel and Ben uh, back on the court for the first time since the uh, really their first basketball heartbreak. Um, two guys who didn't play in the NCAA tournament uh, were success stories all through high school. First year, they weren't expected to win together uh, when they lost to the Celtics in five games. That was their first basketball heartbreak, and now they're more motivated than ever. So I'm excited. Um, Vince, last thoughts on the Sixers? Uh, I, I, just, I don't think they took a step back at any position, and I think the they're basically the same, if not better, with everything and everything that they were bad at last year, they got good at. So, which was, that was a very vague string of things by me, but you know exactly (laughs) what I mean. That was almost as good as your analysis that you can't start slow and also start. Yes. The things they were bad at, they got good at. So now they're going to be good, you know? Yes. And the one thing that'll be interesting even early in the season, um, because I think it paves the way for the rest of the year. If I have one issue and it's not really an issue, it's just a question mark. Um, there's three minutes left in the game. You're up by three or you're down by three. Who has the ball? That's what I would like to see. Cause I don't think there's an alpha yet. You would like Embiid to be the alpha, but getting the, the paint tightens up late in games. It's harder to get him the ball in the post. Um, going through a big man late is really tough to do. You don't see too many teams do it now. Granted, a lot of teams don't have Embiid on their team, so they can't do it. Um, but I'd like to see who's going to step up and be the alpha. If I have one question mark, it would be that. But aside from that, this is the positive half of the podcast, and I could not be more excited for a team full of depth, great role players, great stars, great coach, great season ahead. Yeah, to counter your negative, though, I don't. I'm like out of the starting five. I'm not unconfident in any one of them with the ball with under three left. You seem a little bit more confident than me. I remember Jimmy Butler doing most of the work. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just because they had Jimmy Butler, you know? And that's part of the matrician process that we've been talking about and the maturation process. Now you don't have Jimmy Butler. You're going to have to figure something out. And until someone emerges as that, that like, that stone cold killer, it's going to have to be shared. And this summer was the Sixers basically saying that to them is they, they let Jimmy Butler walk. Now they did invest in Al Horford. But they let Jimmy Butler walk, and they extended Ben Simmons. That's the, that's his team saying, look, Joel, Ben, this is your team. He is not here as a crutch anymore. When there's two minutes left and you need a bucket, you can't, Ben, you can't hide in a corner and let Jimmy bring the ball up the court. You, you can't let that happen anymore. One of you guys has to be the guy. You got to hit your free throws. We'll try to get it in the paint to Joel, and Tobias is going to help out. But look, guys, this is your team now. You got to be the leaders. You got to be the alphas. You got to be the one that takes the shots. Yeah, and I, I'm, I don't hate it. I like that better, honestly. Yeah, it, it you this. No matter what happened, we talked about crazy things in this podcast. Brian Colangelo, the G League, Jimmy Butler, all these role players. It all comes down to this, and it was always going to be this way from the minute they were drafted. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. If they could pan out, if they could take this step forward to become not just great, but elite guys who you can trust with a minute left in the game, who could take over an NBA basketball game, be stars among stars. If they could do that, you were going to be successful for years. You were going to be able to compete for championships. We're at that point, and I'm so excited for it. It was always leading to this. And it all starts tomorrow when we smack the Boston Celtics. 
It is the first of many appearances for Enos Cantor guarding Joel Embiid. If I know the Eagles have us down Philadelphia, I know. And it is fair, and it sucks. But just think about it. Enos Cantor is going to have to guard Joel Embiid from now until April. And there might even be a playoff series mixed in there after that. I, if that doesn't get you excited and that doesn't put you a positive smile on your face, I don't know what to tell you. That's as good as it gets. That could have been Andre Drummond, but that's, that's second as good as it gets. Yeah, he oh, Embiid always eats him alive. Yeah. So it'll probably go Pistons first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, Celtics second round, and then uh, we take our chances with Giannis at the end. So I, I can't be more excited. Like I said, I'm, I'm beaming. And I shouldn't be because my football team is killing me inside. But I am. Your Thank you, Joel Embiid. Your football team. Yeah, thanks. Colts fan. My Colts are killing it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for me. Um, do you want me to throw a question at you? We could do one or the other. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do some questions. Uh, I'll just throw one at you. We'll do Eagles. Do you think they beat the Buffalo Bills? No, I, I know not. you say you're not confident, but I want you to look in your heart. Do you really believe that? Do you really think they lose and it's over this weekend? Think about it. If they lose, it's over. Are you sure? I think they lose a close one. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> well, that's our very positive I don't think show. It's over, though. I don't think it's over, but I, I do think they lose. Okay. Wow. All right. If something Vince drastic really happens, positive vibes. If something drastic happens, they can turn the season around. But I do think they, I do think they lose this weekend. We have Charles Barkley on. We get all excited about the Sixers, and then you just bring a big storm cloud in, like the lightning thing in uh in Mario Kart. Unreal. I'm sorry. We all only, right. We only spit facts on this show, so. Well, that's our show. People. We had a great show going. Vince ruined it because he's negative, but he brought a rain cloud in. I'm sorry. But we'll see where it goes from there. We will not have an NBA Hall of Famer on next week. I can guarantee that. Can't guarantee an Eagles win, but I can guarantee we probably won't have an NBA Hall of Famer on next week. Uh, I don't so have anyone that's... lined up. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see what Julius Irving is doing, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>